I wonder if you could fashion your own faith, rebuild your own Christianity. What elements would you leave in? Which elements would you leave out? If you were to choose your own adventure in faith. I think for most of us, we'd include something like God making the world in which we live, that we're not here by accident, that there was purpose in everything that is around us. I think most of us would include something like in love, Christ giving himself. Though, how do we know what love is? Though we were still sinners, Christ gave himself for us. Things like that, I'm sure, would make the cut. But there is one doctrine, one idea, one element of the story of Jesus that we'd probably forget or decide wasn't important enough to include. And that is the ascension. The ascension is probably not something we think about very much when it comes to describing the story of Jesus, if at all. And when it comes up, as it does in our passages today, we probably fail to recognise why it's of any use. Most of us wouldn't include the ascension in our version of Christianity. And I think we'd leave it out for a number of reasons. First of which is that it's just weird. It's odd. In this story of God coming to rescue humanity, that the risen Jesus Christ wouldn't stop at rising to life again, but rises and ascends into the air, ascends into the heaven. He who has come back and promised his followers, I will never leave you, then disappears into the clouds. It's a bit weird, isn't it? To speak about that, to think about that. Or perhaps we'd leave it out just because we think it's marginal. It's, it's sort of mentioned, but it doesn't really feature heavily. You know, we have doctrines like Christ's death, his sacrifice, or Christ coming back to life. Or a little later, a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming on the church. And we see those as key, major, important things. But the ascension? Well, yeah, I do remember that it's there somewhere in the gospel stories, but it's marginal, it's unimportant. Or perhaps we'd say it's just useless, that we don't see any benefit from the ascension being a part of history, being a part of our Christian faith. We don't understand how life is better for us now, how life might be better in the future for us because of the history of the ascension. Well, I want to kind of dispel those reasons for ignoring the ascension. And I want to help us to see today why we're better off having the ascension as part of our Christian faith. Let's read from Luke's Gospel, verse 50 in the final chapter. It's only a couple of verses, but this is what Luke records. Then he, Jesus, led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshipping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. You know, to that first objection that Christianity um, kind of comes across as being more weird with the ascension in it, I guess there's no getting around that. It is weird. But I don't think it's any weirder than some of the essential elements 
of the Christian story that we have. The essential element of Jesus's birth. You know, that he is a, a real human, that Mary, though a virgin, by the overwhelming of the Holy Spirit, became pregnant and had Jesus. That's pretty weird, and though we would see it as essential, that Jesus, though perfectly innocent, would be arrested and tried and convicted and sentenced to death, even when every single court he appeared in said that he was innocent. I mean, that's pretty weird. The fact that having been killed and buried three days later was seen alive again, pretty weird. Lords of the story of Jesus is very weird. So the fact that the ascension is weird, I'm not gonna argue with you. A man floating up into the clouds is strange, and yet that's never really been a criteria for whether or not we keep something in our faith, has it? Well, what about the second objection, that it's marginal? Well, I think just by the readings that we've had so far this morning from Luke's uh, book of Acts and Luke's gospel, we can see that it isn't quite as marginal as we might as once thought. That actually, at least in Luke's thinking, it's a really pivotal moment. It is literally the hinge that joins together his two great works. His gospel doesn't have as its crescendo Jesus rising to life again, it has as its crescendo, its finale, Jesus' ascending to heaven. And his follow-up book, his book on what the Holy Spirit did next, begins, begins with Jesus rising up to heaven. More than that, we have in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when Jesus is speaking about resolutely setting out to Jerusalem, what does it say? Sometimes we think that he resolutely went to Jerusalem in order to die. But no, that's not what Luke writes. It says that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So it strikes me that the ascension in Luke's eyes, if nobody else's, although it's there elsewhere too, was really, really important. Not a marginal doctrine, not just like a fact of history, but something to use to shape how he retold the whole story of Jesus. So weird, guilty as charged. Marginal, not as marginal as we might think. Useless, well, let's spend the rest of our time thinking through how Life is better for us because of the ascension. And better for us in three ways. It's better for our thinking, it's better for our living, and it is better for our dying. The first of those then is the ascension is better for our thinking. Do you know, in scripture, we find several examples of people who are brought back from the dead. Immediately, uh, when we think in the Gospels of people being brought back from the dead, we might bring to mind Lazarus, Jesus' friend, outside whose tomb he wept and called him that. We might think as well of Jairus' daughter, raised to life again, that little 12-year-old girl, or the widow's only son on the way out of the town when Jesus came across that body, touched it, and he raised to life again. Uh, further afield in the scriptures, we might think in the book of Kings of people coming back to life again. So here's the question for us. What exactly is the difference between those folks who were brought back to life and Jesus's coming back to life? 
Well, surely the ascension helps us to think about these things and to see that resurrection is greater than resuscitation. If you don't mind me using that as an expression to describe what happened to um, Jairus' daughter or to Lazarus or to others, that they were resuscitated. That is to say, they came back to life, but that life was to end again in death. That's not the case with Jesus, and the ascension helps us to see that. For each and every other example in the scriptures of folks who were dead and uh, walked and breathed again, their lives would have, after five years, ten years, twenty years, however long, come to an end, and they would have had to suffer and endure death once more. But the difference with the ascension is that Jesus' resurrection was not resuscitation. Jesus' resurrection is of an altogether different order. Jesus' resurrection is to eternal, ongoing, glorious life, never to die again. Without the ascension, Jesus' new life is sort of in the balance, has a question mark hanging over it. Is it just a longer life? than we might have experienced before? Is it a life of resuscitation like those that we've encountered already? No. Jesus, resurrected and ascended, helps us to see that this is a new life, a resurrected life, which is totally and utterly different. So that's the first way that uh, the ascension helps us in our thinking. The second way is to help us to understand that heaven is a place Instead of just giving us a better understanding about the difference between types of raising to life again, the ascension helps us to think better about the place where Jesus goes. See, for many of us, heaven is simply a different plane of existence. Sometimes as Christians even, we can have this ethereal, spiritual idea more than we can think of it as a real place. But Jesus' resurrection physically and bodily, and then his ascension physically and bodily, teaches us that Jesus in that body physically now resides in heaven. So rather than heaven being some sort of different place or or, or lesser place, we might actually understand heaven as an even realer place than where we currently inhabit. It's not less of a place than where you're sat watching this. It is more than this. Jesus, in his body, went to be with the Father in heaven. Therefore, we can understand that heaven really, truly is somewhere to exist. So the ascension helps us kind of think about certain things and, and put different categories right in our mind, which is useful but perhaps not of the greatest use. Well, how about this? How is the ascension actually better for our living? How is it that understanding Jesus raised from the dead, raised to the heavens, makes life now better for us? Well, in our rooted groups, we're going through Paul's letter to the Ephesian churches, and Paul speaks a lot about Jesus's death, and being risen to life again, and his ascension to heaven. In Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 21, he writes this, The power, the same power, 
the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That power Paul is praying to be experienced in the believers' lives. Jesus died. Jesus alive. Jesus risen to glory. And Paul sees it as being something that helps us when we understand that Jesus now is interceding for us. It's one thing to have our minds informed, but our lives can be transformed when we understand it's not just something that Jesus has done for us in the past, but what Jesus is doing for us in this present moment. Jesus, the God-man, our prophet, our priest, our king, is in heaven representing, praying for us. And that should massively change how we live, shouldn't it? Jesus being there, our advocate, our intercessor, the one who represents and pleads and makes our case, that means that we can battle sin in our lives, I think, with confidence. Because the sacrifice hasn't just been offered at one point in time, but that sacrifice endures. Christ's sacrifice of himself, marked with the wounds in his hands and the piercing in his side, that is there for all eternity. That hasn't expired or evaporated or disappeared. Jesus now carrying that sacrifice into the holiest of holies, the heavenly realms, the throne of grace, means that we can, we can come to the, experience the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God always. Jesus being there now in the heavenly of heavenlies, in his body, in his physicalness, in his resurrectedness, means that whenever sin or temptation or fall comes and nips at our heels, we can turn to Jesus, the one who is making us clean. The one whose sacrifice remains before the Father as a reminder that it is all finished. And as we face battles and circumstances and situations and temptations, there is one praying and active on our side for our pleasure, for our victory. It should change our lives to understand that Jesus is still at work, is still positioning himself for our good and for our growth. That's the first thing. But more than just representing us, more than just interceding for us, more than just having that sense of being there, Jesus is there and he is ruling. Jesus is in charge. Constantly, constantly, constantly in the New Testament, he is spoken of as being one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a description of one who holds a position of power and authority. Someone who has been enthroned. Without the ascension, can we really make sense of that? Can we really make sense of the fact that Jesus has been lifted up to the highest place? Jesus isn't off somewhere else doing something random. He is seated above and beyond everything. Nothing, therefore, is outside of his control because he has ascended to the control room of the universe, you might say it. 
And so that, again, is better for our living, isn't it? Because it means that no matter what we challenge, what challenge we face, what battle we face, our king, our ruler, he is on his throne and he is above it all. And so our living can be improved by understanding this doctrine of the ascension. Not only our minds, but our lives. As we press forward through the gloom, through the brokenness of this world and the fragility of our own humanness, Jesus is still there exercising and exerting influence for our good. But that is not all. Because the ascension is not just better for our thinking and our living, the ascension is better for our dying in a couple of ways. Because it helps us to understand that a, a prepared place awaits. In John chapter 14, Jesus encourages his followers like this. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus promised that he was going to prepare a place. And I think he's speaking about his work of going and dying and rising to life and ascending. That all of what Jesus has done is what he has in mind when he's speaking about going before us. And so we needn't anticipate turning up to heaven like an unexpected guest. You know how it is when somebody pops round. Uh, they haven't been invited. They haven't let you know that they're on the way. You aren't really ready to receive them. And so... In kind of a hurry, you shift a few things around, you tidy to tidy up, but you're on edge the whole time because you know you don't have the biscuits or the treats that you might want. You know that the dust is a little bit thick on the windowsill. You know that whatever job it is that you think you'd normally have done if you'd have had time to prepare hasn't been done. And so you're just not comfortable. And that translates and it makes them uncomfortable. Or perhaps someone swings by and they ask to spend the night but you haven't got any spare sheets for the spare bed and it's mortifying. That is not, that is not what it will be like when we die and we are face to face with Christ because Christ said that he has gone to prepare a place for us, not just earn a place for us, but prepare a place for us. Somewhere that is ready and waiting for you if you trust in Jesus. So Jesus' ascending to heaven is the culminating of that work that he is doing so that when we die, we can face a welcome. It's better for our dying as well because Jesus promised that where he is going, we will be following, that we get to follow him. I love these words also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that God has raised us up with Christ and seat us, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, that in order in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul there is speaking in the already and not yet sense, I think. The words of Ephesians carry with them this weight of Jesus already being in that place, our representative, but also anticipating that final chapter in all of our stories where we are with him, where he is. 
Maybe the author of the letter to the Hebrews puts it better. Hebrews chapter 12 begins like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned his shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of grace of God. Do you see it? The author of the Hebrews encouraging us, encouraging us that people have already gone before, a great cloud of witnesses who have persevered to the end. And what do they find at the end? Jesus. He's the one who marks the end of the race, sitting down at the right hand. Where he is to encourage us in our living is where we shall be to encourage us in our dying. We've spoken about in Ammonford Evangelical Church, mountains in the Bible. And it starts off, doesn't it, with this garden that's on top of a mountain. We read that in Ezekiel 28, where mankind communed with God. And we know that that didn't go too well for too long. And later in the story, as God begins to craft for himself a special people, Moses, as a mediator, ascends up a mountain to receive the law from God so that the people could commune with him once more. Later still, we read of the holy city of God, home of the temple, which was built on a hill so that people could come and they could commune with God there. Later, Jesus would climb another mountain, Mount Calvary, to mediate between man and God so that communion between us might be possible once more. And finally, Jesus ascended not to the top of the tabernacle or to the top of the temple, but up to the highest of heavens, the throne room of God, on which all those former things had been modelled, so that we too, we also might follow in his footsteps and truly commune with God. Can you see how the ascension actually makes it better for us in our dying? Death does not separate us from the love of God, but finally and fully reunites us. So our objections to begin with were threefold. That it's weird, guilty as charged. That it's marginal, well, maybe it's more central than we give it credit for. That it's useless, not in your life. The ascension of Jesus is so much better for our thinking, for our living, and for our dying. Thank God for historians like Luke who included it so that we could benefit from it even 2,000 later today. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that Jesus is rising to life again, was rising to something bigger and better and beyond what we have currently experienced. Thank you, Lord, that we can anticipate that coming together of our physicalness and your holy realm. That Jesus, the God-man, is currently and presently there, still active for our benefit. And Lord, that we can look forward, even if it is through death, to being reunited reunited with you as we were created to be. Well, help us not to forget the ascension. Help us to see it and to value it, to learn from it and to live through it. Because it is good news. Good news to those who have received Jesus. Amen.